everybody. How's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, I'm Hub, and I hope you're having a fine time whenever... I'm sorry we don't have time for this. Today we are going to dive right into the hot-button issue that has been tearing this nation apart. I am referring, of course, to... Should pistachios be called tree clams? Tensions are running high on both sides of this contentious issue, with one side saying, I think pistachios should be called tree clams, while the other side insists, Well, I can see why you would say that, but I think it's fine that they're called pistachios, but if you need me to, I'll support you on this. As I said, Tensions are running high. Where do you fall on this issue? It is more complicated than it might seem at first blush. For one thing, clams are potentially a more divisive food than pistachios. So, associating the latter with the former might cause a decline in the demand for pistachios, which itself would have both potential benefits and drawbacks. On the plus side, perhaps... A decrease in demand would lower the cost of this exorbitantly expensive nut, or clam, depending on your perspective. On the other hand, a decrease in demand might lower the availability in many retail establishments of the delicious, delicious tree clam. Another issue with this potential renaming is, do pistachios in fact grow on trees? Nobody knows for sure. Hmm. Oh, I'm just being handed this piece of paper. And it says, uh, the decision has been made and it is final. Pistachios are now called tree clams. Mmm, delicious tree clams. Anyway, you guys want to talk about a comic book? We got a frickin' doozy. So, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Cecilia Hudson. Podcasting super great when you're stuck home sick, so curl up in bed with the noodle synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Cecilia. Defenders, number 29. November, 1975. Let my planet go. Written by Steve Gerber. Drawed by Sal Buscema. Inked by Vince Coletta. Lettered by John Costanza. Colored by Glennis Ween. And edited by Marv Wolfman. Defensive lineup. Doctor Strange. The Incredible Hulk. Valkyrie. Nighthawk. And the Guardians of the Galaxy featuring Martinex, Charlie 27, Major Vance Astro, Yondu, and Starhawk, I guess. Previously in the Defenders. Oh boy, here goes. The year is 3015 and planet Earth is a real shit show. Humanity has been conquered by a group of evil space colonialist lizardmen who call themselves the Brotherhood of Badoon. These Badoon baddies have killed 90% of the Earth's population and enslaved the rest. What a bunch of jerks! The leaders of Humanity's Rebellion, the modestly monikered Guardians of the Galaxy, decided that the key to mankind's salvation lay somewhere in the earth tone and shrouded splendor that was the 1970s. So these self-styled Guardians hopped into their time-transgressing transportation, a spaceship called the Captain America, and zoomed back to the past to seek succor from some 70s superheroes. After nearly ripping asunder the fabric of the space-time continuum due to a combination of being bad at math and forgetting sad sack thousand-year-old spaceman Vance Astro's birthday, the Guardians teamed up with our dynamic defenders to defeat a giant eel monster named Elar, who threw dead fish at them. 
After foiling the ferocious fishmonger, the defenders decided to join their new comrades in some far-flung futuristic freedom fighting. The gang piled into the Captain America and headed back to the future. Unbeknownst to Octet of Time Trapses, the spaceship slash time machine harbored a space stowaway. One Jack Norris. Oh no, not that asshole. Jack Norris, the asshole in question, was the estranged husband of Barbara Norris, the woman whose body Valkyrie's mystically created persona was currently inhabiting. And in case you missed my subtle editorial notes, he was also an asshole. Upon arriving in the 31st century, our heroes attempted to teleport the first four members of their ragtag band of Badoon battlers to Earth, so as they could start getting their thwart on. But things went almost immediately awry. Lord Syadroom, the leader of the Badoon Elite Guard, had been monitoring the Captain America from afar, and deflected the transporter beam, scattering the teleporting heroes across the cosmos. Valkyrie and Vance Astro found themselves stranded on a Dayglow swamp planet where they were immediately besieged by berserker lizard women. They were aided by a mysterious stranger in a blue bodysuit named Starhawk who led them out of the swamp to a futuristic space city populated by some much chiller lizard ladies. The chill lizard lady leader, Queen Talaria, explained that they were on the Badoon homeworld and that female Badoons were totally cool and mellow, except for the ones who attacked them in the swamp who were going through their once-per-lifetime mating frenzy. The queen went on to explain Badoonian sex ed and the planet's fucked up political history to her guests. Vance asked her why the Badoon dudes were murdering and enslaving humanity and the queen responded by saying, They did what now? Starhawk, who never did explain why he was hanging out in the reptilian fuck swamp, said that his work there was done. Then he sprouted some wings out of his head and flew off into space. Fair enough. Meanwhile, Yondu and the Hulk found themselves teleported to a mostly medieval planet where everyone was obsessed with game shows and drunk all the time. Some robots hypnotized them and dragged them in front of the planet's leader, a hedonistic emperor named Guzot. Guzot ordered that the offworlders be conscripted into competition in the planet's popular game show, The Super Death Sweepstakes. Yondu competed first and the Azure Archer acquitted himself admirably, smashing up a bunch of murderous robots. Hooray! As the Hulk was being outfitted for competition and no one else was around, one of Guzot's concubines sidled up to the still-hypnotized Green Goliath and talked about how everyone on the planet was too drunk to get boners, but she bet the Hulk could get a boner real good. I am paraphrasing only very slightly. Back aboard the Captain America, Jack Norris popped out of his hidey hole and yelled at everyone, so Doctor Strange put a spell on him that suspended the strident space stowaway in stasis. Hooray. Then Strange decided that if he could hook himself up to the ship's computer, that would make him even better at astral projection for some reason, and then his ghost form could bop around the universe and find his missing chums. So that's what he did. But soon after Ghost Steve cyberhacked the cosmos, the ship was boarded by the Badoon Elite Guard. Martinex, Nighthawk, and Charlie 27 struggled valiantly, but were eventually captured by Lord Sire Droom and his space lizard cronies. Droom found Steve's unconscious body and confidently proclaimed that the slumbering sorcerer was in fact dead. He then beamed Kyle, Marty, and Chuck 27 to Earth where they would soon face a public execution. Meanwhile, a decidedly not-dead ghost Steve finally located Val and Vance on planet Sex Swamp and used his magic to teleport them to Earth. The astral astronaut then flew off in search of the Hulk and Yondu. Gadzooks! How will Val and Vance use the information about Badoon's sexual politics they learned on planet Fuck Swamp? Will Emperor Guzot get his comeuppance? And what's Starhawk's deal? Stay tuned to find out. Whew. Okay, so... They don't. It really never comes up again. Nope. And 
He's a negligent father who lives on a terrarium on an asteroid, but beyond that, I have absolutely no idea. Yeah. Lord Sire Droom is about to give the command to execute Charlie 27, Martinex, and Nighthawk in a public execution that will be broadcast to encampments of enslaved humanity across the planet. The Badoons figure that since Martinex and Charlie 27 are two of the most famous freedom fighters on the planet, seeing them killed will break the spirit of Earth's resistance. And since they've found a dude in a bird suit, why not kill him too? Makes sense. Fortunately for our captive crusaders, thanks to Ghost Steve's powers of teleportation, Earth's population has just increased by two. Valkyrie and Major Vance Astro are on the scene. Vance telekinetically tosses the firing squad around, while sorcerously Scandinavian swordslinger unleashes Dragonfang and slices her buddies free from their bonds. Hooray! Our heroes mix it up with the reptilian imperialists for a bit, then scurry off to a secret stronghold to regroup. Billionaire Duel Bird enthusiast Kyle Richmond, aka Nighthawk, asks Valkyrie how she and Vance got there, and Val is like, I don't know, maybe Steve did it. Kyle shakes his head sadly and informs the Norse warrior that he overheard a lizard in a funny hat say that Steve was dead, and while the Badoon may be bloodthirsty, murderous space mercantilists, they are not fibbers. Faced with this incontrovertible evidence, Valkyrie is forced to accept that Doctor Strange is indeed dead. But of course, Doctor Strange wasn't dead. At that very moment, Steve's astral soul-whatever was approaching that medieval drunken game show world that was currently acting as a decidedly inhospitable host to the Hulk and Yondu. On the set of the Super Death Sweepstakes, a panel of celebrity guests is about to announce which deathmatch the Hulk will be forced to compete in when the studio receives a surprise visit from Emperor Guzot. Must be sweeps week. Guzot announces that contrary to what the captions told us in the last issue, he did in fact overhear his consort saying boner talk to the hypnotized Hulk, and consequently, she will be joining the Jade Giant in his televised trials. And with that, the Hulk, who is sporting some fancy new metallic Adam Strange-themed bondage gear, and Guzot's former consort, who doesn't get a name so I'm just going to call her Space Blanche after her likely ancestor, Blanche Devereaux from the Golden Girls, are teleported away to a desolate snow-capped mountaintop. Hulk and Space Blanche have little time to get acquainted, as they are soon attacked by an army of enormous robotic ants. Hulk smashes the shit out of the ants. Hooray! Then he tries to leap off the mountain, but is stopped by some kind of a force field thingy. So he smashes the shit out of the mountain. Hooray! I guess that means he must have won the first round of the game show, because immediately thereafter, bondage gear-clad behemoth and space blanche are beamed back to the studio. Only the show's producers made a slight mistake, and forgot to restrain or sedate the enraged Emerald Avenger. Whoopsie. I bet a PA is going to get fired for that. Just totally unfair, it's the producer's fault. Hulk is about to smash the shit out of the unctuous game show host who has been emceeing the goings-on, when Astral Steve shows up and teleports Yondu and the Hulk to Earth to join their companions. Damn it, Steve! Would have killed you to wait a second for that punch to connect? I bet they're going to take this shit out on Space Blanche now. Meanwhile, want to know where Starhawk was headed when he sprouted wings out of his head and flew into space? Yeah, me neither. That dude had all the charisma of a damp loaf of bread. Anyway... Starhawk rolls up on a snow globe-looking biodome on an asteroid floating around in deep space, 
he crawls through a habitrail-looking airlock and finds himself on an idyllic-looking farm with a cozy log cabin in the middle of it. Okay. Three tow-headed children run up to hug him. Huh. The children, who are named Tara, Sita, and John, ask the blue-suited cipher if he will be staying this time. Starhawk tells the Muppets that before he can answer that question, he has to consult with someone named Alita, the Giver of Light. He goes into the log cabin and turns on a giant computer. An enormous picture of a pretty blonde lady appears on the screen. He stares silently at the picture for a minute, and then says, Sorry, kids, but that picture telepathically told me I gotta go. Bye! Uh... Okay. Meanwhile, meanwhile, back on Earth, Val, Kyle, Vance, Marty, and Chuck-27, galvanized into action by the news of Steve's alleged demise, storm into the Badoonian headquarters and start a punchin' and a kickin'. Hooray! Then the Hulk and Yondu find themselves beamed into the middle of the fray, and they decide to lend a fist as well. Double hooray! Back aboard the Captain America, Jack Norris finds himself freed of his Steve-induced stasis field. Well, shit. The matrimonially-minded meathead starts delivering a little soliloquy about how he's been a real chump lately, and now he's tired of being a chump and wants to be a cool, cool dude. Then he stumbles across Steve's apparently lifeless body and is like, Oh, shit! I was acting like I was great and the Defenders were dumb, but now I can see that I was dumb and the Defenders were awesome. Especially Steve. Steve was the greatest and I was the worst, and now he's dead and I can't tell him how great he is. Steve pops back into his body and is like, I'm listening. Go on. Jack continues to alternately apologize and flatter for a minute longer, but then Steve interrupts him and tells the newly contrite contrarian that while the praise parade can and should continue, it should do so after the Sorcerer Supreme returns from saving the Earth. Jack asks if he can come for a ride-along, and Steve acquiesces. The two pop up in the midst of the Defenders, Guardians, Badoon kerfuffle. All the heroes are amazed and are like, Steve, you're okay! Nobody really notices that Jack is there, too. Hooray! Doctor Strange says some kind of mystical mumbo-jumbo, and boom! The Badoons on the battlefield are instantly paralyzed. That's a handy trick. Then Steve is basically like, I'm tired of this storyline, so I'm going to teleport all over the Earth and free all of the humans from slavery. Jack, do you want to come with me and help, like a big boy? I'll let you hold a laser gun. And with that, Steve and Jack start popping all over the planet, and in the course of a few hours, they liberate all 50 million human beings who had been enslaved on Earth, destroy all the Badoon prisons, and arm the newly liberated populace with fancy laser guns. Hooray? I mean, this is all good shit, but if Steve could do that from the word jump, why the fuck didn't he? When the two take a break to gaze over future Chicago and think about the afternoon they just spent saving the planet, Jack pipes up and goes, So, you didn't really need my help for any of that shit, did you? And Steve is like, nope. Man, I bet Jack's laser gun is just filled with candy, and he was just like making pew pew noises with his mouth when he fired it. That's fun. Jack asks why Steve didn't just teleport all the Badoons off the planet instead of just giving humans weapons to kill them. Steve basically says that he doesn't think people would be grateful enough if he did that, and that if he fully ended their enslavement himself, they wouldn't learn as much as if they earned their freedom. 
Wow. Even for Steve, that is some condescending bullshit. Dude, freedom from enslavement and murder should be the default setting, not some kind of special Easter egg bonus people earn. Fuck you, Steve. Apparently drawn to condescending bullshit like a shitty moth to a turd flame, Starhawk suddenly shows up out of nowhere and tells Steve how smart and wise he is and what a good point he has just raised. <laughs> Starhawk tells Steve that he and his buddy should probably just head back to the 70s, because now humans are about as free as they deserve to be. Steve thinks that sounds pretty good, but he needs to know if he can trust the wing-headed, blue-suited stranger. Starhawk tells the sorcerer to let Jack decide for him. Yes, let's let Jack Norris decide the fate of the future for no apparent goddamn reason. What a wonderful idea. Jack gazes deeply into Starhawk's weird cosmic eyes and is like, This dude is bonkers and full of contradictions and shit I don't understand. So, I think he's great for some reason. Let's hand him over the keys to the planet and head back to the 70s. So they do. The end. I mean, they say goodbye to the Guardians, and I guess maybe Starhawk joins the Guardians or something? It's kind of hard to tell. And then Steve knocks all the Badoons in Chicago unconscious, presumably so that they can get murdered in their sleep by the newly liberated humans. So, hooray? But, yeah, pretty much the story ends with uh, Steve X Machina, Instantly half-rescuing the future, then shrugging and going, Eh, good enough. Let's go home. So they do. Uh, okay. And once again, we are joined by my good-for-everything brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? It's going great. Or, Corey is swell. How are you? I am similarly swell. So... What'd you think of this issue? I thought it was pretty good. I am curious to hear your thoughts on it, and I'm glad to see the story moving along. It's not so much moving along as it is moving away, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking for closure. Yeah, I mean, I think this is as much of closure as we are going to get on it. I went through a lot of stages with this story. At first, I was like, this nonsense is pretty fun. Then I was like, I'm kind of frustrated that I'm not getting any kind of closure on this story. Mm -hmm. And then I went to being kind of angry about it. Sure. And then I went to almost a, are you okay with this story? <laughs> like, just reading it. I had to go back and check and make sure that it was Steve Gerber writing it. Which is weird because in some ways it is a very Steve Gerber story in mm -hmm. pretty much every way. But... It reads like it was written by somebody who not only hadn't written the past three issues of this comic book, but possibly someone who hadn't read the last three issues of this <laughs> comic book or had them read to him through some kind of a Google Translator app and then translated back into English. Yeah, so while we're on confusing things... I think we're going to spend a fair amount of time there. All right. I did go back and read through some stuff, but I'm still a little bit puzzled about Starhawk and why he does. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is his... Why? I don't fucking know. <laughs> it, it makes no sense. It makes no goddamn sense. I am assuming that 
some of the things that are unresolved in this issue were set up so that they could be picked up in future Guardians of the Galaxy comic books. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't fucking know. It doesn't make any sense. Like, just reading this as a story. I mean, yes, there are definitely crossovers, but this is before you get, like, the huge crossover arc de rigueur like you have these days in comic books. This doesn't make any sense. It's not just that the Starhawk line is dropped. It's just that it's like they introduce a mysterious character, and then we are promised we will learn more about this character, and then... Uh, I guess he lives on an asteroid with three latchkey kids that are probably his kids. It implies that, at least. Mm -hmm. And also, I guess maybe he's going to join the Guardians of the Galaxy? There's at least a throwaway line about that. And also, he is a weird magical being who has some kind of a telepathic bond with jack norris for some reason and he has the cosmos who lives in his eyes and he has a telepathic connection with a woman named alita who he looks at through a tv screen and she tells him to go tell doctor strange to go home Uh back to his time yep and everything will be cool yeah but she does that silently well, it, it, yeah, but he he does. That's what he does based on her. Yeah, there is a lot that goes on with that. So, I, yeah, I guess Starhawk, I mean, he's definitely got a pad in the fuck swamp. And he's been there for what seems like a very long time. He's formed a friendship and long, it seems, lasting and trusting friendship with the queen of these people. Mm-hmm. He's built a house out in the fuck swamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he is a well-known person on this planet. So he's, he's been there for a while. And then we see... He just pops back to these three kids who live in a biosphere on a farm on an asteroid. And they're all like, are you going to stay this time? He's like, I don't know. I have to go. I have to go look at at a picture of your mom, maybe. I wonder to what extent, like, I was picturing him just using that as an excuse for everything. Like, uh, because it is a silent communication, and he's, he's like, are you going to stay this time, Dad? It's like, well, let's see. I got to look at this picture of your mom. Hmm. She says, nope, sorry, gotta go. I wonder if he uses that for everything. She also says no ice cream. No cookies. Mmm, sorry. Oh, uh, your mom says I'm going to watch these teen sex comedies now. Her rules, not mine. Sorry, kids, might be awkward. (laughs) Yeah, I don't get it. It didn't make any sense. It actually reminded me of when I was, I think in high school, there were a few times when I had to babysit for my younger stepbrother. And when he was misbehaving, I developed this technique. I don't know if I've discussed it on the show before, but I would lean out the window and pretend to talk to a werewolf. I've talked to you about that. I know about this. I don't know the listeners. Um, So I would lean out the window and be like, what's that? Well, yeah, he's here. And no, he hasn't been particularly good. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess you could come in. You sure? I mean, your fangs are kind of bloody right now. And my stepbrother would just be like, I'll be good, I'll be good. And I would pop my head back in and be like, really? Okay. And then I would lean back out the window and says, look, he says he's going to be good. Do you want to come back in like 10 minutes? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that might not even be a like video conference call he set up. I think he may have just put like a sticker on top of the screen. Mm. That is that picture of Alita, the giver of light. Right. And he just uses it as a child handling device. Because those are definitely latchkey kids. They are raising themselves and also raising a horse and a cow on this weird, apparently 
I'm going to say like 20 meter by 20 meter space farm. Mm. It's not a very big place. Very metric. Yeah. It definitely did seem like it was using a base 10 measurement system. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, you're in space. It's the future. It's just easier. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I like that there's like a little chute that he uses to enter it. It's like a little trap door and he, whoop, and he slides down it. Yeah. Hey it's, kids, I'm home. The airlock on it has a distinctively habit trail feeling. <laughs> it, does. it does. Like I, I half expected there to be a tube that connected it to another farm. I wonder if he's got a couple of different families spread out. Oh, geez. We really get no closure on the Starhawk story. This struck me as a real etch-a-sketch of an issue. That it was just like, well, I'm tired of this arc. I've kind of written myself into a corner, and I don't feel like resolving these issues in this issue, but I'm done writing this, so just shake the etch-a-sketch, and we're done. Yeah, totally, and the use of Jack Norris is a vehicle to lend credibility to Starhawk for Doctor Strange makes no damn sense either. <laughs> yeah. Because Doctor Strange is like, wait, you're telling me to stop the war for the preservation of humanity? I'm not sure. Like, I don't, are you a magician? Yeah. And he's like, let ask me... Jack Norris. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Steve's like, let me run this by my, I guess, consigliere now, <laughs> who I, as little as three pages ago said, I don't know if I trust your sudden conversion to not being a dipshit. And then the not, no longer ostensibly dipshit, Mr. Norris is like, yeah, man, he's like darkness and light and art and music, but destruction. <laughs> Listen to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? I definitely got like storyline blue balls from this issue <laughs> in a number of different ways. So let's go over some of the most frustrating things that were dropped and then unresolved. We've talked about Starhawk. That's one of them. Yep. We get future space Blanche, the uh, lady who, you know, Blanche from the Golden Girls. Uh, oh, right, yeah, yeah. Who, in the last issue, came up to Hulk with all of this boner talk and was definitely set up as being like, oh, he's got an ally from inside the court who's going to get him out of this pickle. They decided to drop that element of her storyline and just have it be that, oh, you know how the emperor didn't hear her say anything? And I even think we said everybody was too drunk to overhear her say anything to the right. Hulk when she was giving him the crazy boner talk for no reason. Yep. Well, I guess he did hear her. So now she goes with him to his exile planet where he has to do his super death sweepstakes. Yep. Yeah, Guzat did not like that. And if anything, that tells us that boner talk has a stiff penalty. Oh! <laughs> Hard but fair. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, there was no reason to include her in the story at all. She doesn't contribute anything on the planet when she is there with the Hulk. He is still in danger. He still would have had to fight those bugs. She doesn't help out in any way. And then she apparently seems to have just been abandoned back on the death planet. I don't think she gets teleported to Earth with Yondu and the Hulk. So presumably she's just going to get murdered now. We don't see her brought back when they bring Hulk into the studio when he gets mad at... She gets brought to the studio, and Hulk is about to kill the game show host. Oh, Death Planet, meaning Guzat's... Yeah, meaning Guzat's world, not the... Yeah, icy place. I mean, I don't think that they're just going to be like, well, it looks like you won the Super Death Sweepstakes. I guess you get a new car. It seems like there was probably a second level where then they're going to kill her. Mm -hmm. 
Which, I also don't really buy her as a hero. She still is a hedonist on a planet of hedonists. She just is thirstier for sex than she is for alcohol. She's written with no agency whatsoever, though. And we see that being doubled down upon with, like, each feat that Hulk accomplishes. Yeah. Like, first she's just like, ooh, he's strong and sexy. And then she's like, oh my god, he's so powerful. And then it ends after he kills, like, everything on the planet and, and, and then smashes we just the mountain. Th- she's yeah. just like, it's just too much. I don't exist anymore. Yeah, pretty much. And she likely gets murdered. Boo. Yeah, there's nothing to that. And they had clearly set her up to play a different role. And then just like, um, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, there's no comeuppance for Guzat either. Or for anybody on that planet. Nor, nor an explanation of why why a planet of murder crazy hedonists. Drunk, drunkards. Yeah. Yeah, there's no explanation of that. Even bigger than that, there's no follow-up on the entire Sisterhood of Badoon thing that Starhawk was there to establish in the last issue. There's no follow-through on this entire backstory for these people that we learned last issue that definitely seemed like was being set up as a Chekhov's gun type thing. The first three issues of this are like, it's Chekhov's fucking armory, and then it's like, at the end of the third act... Oh, hey, there were all those guns back there. Anyway. <laughs> right? Uh. But yeah, the, the whole fact that nothing that happened on the fuck swamp planet has any follow through. What the hell? I don't know, man. Again, it gives me the sense that we sometimes get in these books where, I don't know, Gerber, whoever editorials have people hanging out at, after work one day. Just, you know what would be cool? This. Oh, yeah, man, this would be cool, too. Let's just put it in the book and see if we can make some sense of it. And then they're like, nope, we give up. Yep. You definitely get the sense that the story arc got written into a corner. And then they just were like, well, you know what's in this corner? A door. Let's just go through that door. And then we're in a whole nother house. And never mind all of the painting that we did before. Starhawk says it was all a dream. Yeah, it has that feeling to it. Have we talked about the sequel to Rosemary's Baby that I read in the 90s? I feel like we have, but I can't say for certain. It's a really bad book. It's by Ira Levine, who wrote the original. Ira Levine wrote... Oh, that one literally ends with... It it literally ends with, it was all a dream. The sequel ends with, it was all a dream, or was it? But it has that be what was happening in the original Rosemary's Baby as well. Oh. Yeah, it retcons the entire first much better book out of existence. Boo. And this has that kind of a feel, this ending to it. I wrote down in my notes, I miss the narrative cohesion and internal story logic of a Bob Haney story. (laughs) Let's talk about Jack Norris a little bit. Sure. So yeah, I guess he's a good guy now? Yeah, I guess being paralyzed in space with nobody to talk to changes a man for the better. Really got his shit together immediately off panel And this is another one of those things that it's like, I'm tired of this guy being an asshole, so I'm going to write him like he's a decent guy now. Uh, He just decided decided to be a decent guy Mm -hmm. now. Which is signaled by him changing his outfit. He's no longer wearing purple and green. He's now wearing a white turtleneck with tan slacks and a pretty cool look. He popped the collar on his trench coat. A green trench coat. Yeah, it's it's a pretty dope look. Yeah. And it's like, oh, now he's a hero. We also find out apparently he's pretty good with a shotgun, mm-hmm. so therefore is even better with a space gun. No recoil. No recoil on that fucker. Mm-hmm. You also get the impression that he pops in and finds what he thinks is Steve's corpse, 
because everybody was fooled that Steve was dead. Mm -hmm. Even the people who knew that his plan was to go into his astral form and leave an apparently lifeless body behind him. But then, like, the Badoons find him and think that he's dead. I don't think I had really fully realized that the rest of the Guardians and Defenders thought he was dead, too. Mm. I guess by Defenders, it was just Nighthawk at that point. But basically, the Badoon checks and is like, I think this guy's dead. And I guess all the good guys were like, well, it seems like he knows what he's talking about. I think we can trust this Badoon guy. Mm -hmm. Looks like Steve's dead. That sucks. Jack Norris thinks the same thing when he finds Steve. And there's this moment where it's like in Peter Pan, where they have to clap to bring the fairy back to life. <laughs> He's just like, I believe in you, Steve. I believe in you. And then Steve's like, I believe in me too. And I was fine the whole time. I'm pretty sure you're an asshole, though. Let's see if I can trust you. And stop shouting. <laughs> I just woke up. <laughs> So he decides to bring Jack with him as he rapid fire teleports himself all over the globe, freeing every human being on Earth from captivity. Once again, raising the question of why didn't you just do this before, man? Exactly. And raising the question, why did you bring Jack with you? <laughs> and even Jack, I think, brings that up. Like, I think at the end, he's just like, so you didn't really need me there, did you? And Steve's like, I guess we'll never know about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like he is treating Jack Norris like he is a little kid and is saying like, and you have a very important job too, Jack. I need you to hammer down any imaginary nails that pop up with this plastic hammer. Right. And Jack's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Except um, the plastic hammer is a ray gun. Yeah, no, I mean, I would be stoked if I was a kid and I was handed <laughs> a ray gun. Shoot the fuck out of those invisible nails. Shoot all the green guys. Yeah. There's also this insane thing that happens where after they're done popping all around the globe and freeing all of the people. And, and by freeing, we also mean arming so that they begin a bloody revolt and start murdering all of their former captors. Yeah, which, yeah. I mean, is fair. But... He does that, well, I guess in his own mind, Steve is maintaining some kind of neutrality. He's like, well, I'm just a facilitator for them freeing themselves. Because if I were to free them, it just wouldn't mean as much. And Starhawk comes in and is just like, that's right. You should just let people that have been brutalized and enslaved fix it themselves. Well, that was kind of answering Norris's question of, like, why do you need me here, Steve? Couldn't you just kill all the bad guys at once? And he's like, yes, I could, but it wouldn't be as cool. But they also decide... But then Steve also decides to follow up on that decision by making an entire city of the Badunians. At first, I thought it was all over the planet, but I think it's just the city of Chicago, mm -hmm. which in the future looks like the city of Seattle. <laughs> They really like those Space Needle things. They, they really do. I have a theory about that, which we will get back to. But he makes them all fall asleep while they are in the middle of a battle. You see the human beings tromping over them with ray guns. So, like, those guys definitely just got all murdered, right? Well, we're led to believe that that was a humane gesture and that he saved thousands of lives by doing that because ostensibly the humans who have been brutalized and enslaved by these aliens are going to be like, oh, look, they're oh, sleeping. They're sleep you know Let's what? just lock them up. They look like little angels when they're sleeping. Maybe we should just put them in the cages we were in and put them to work. And then we can brutalize and enslave them. Yeah, nice job. And the cycle of life continues. Mm. Yeah. 
incomprehensible moves on on Steve's part, really it, all around. Well, okay, to be fair, there is a battle. Both sides are armed. By putting one side to sleep, he does, I think, reduce the total death count. Okay, but he can't do that while still paying lip service to the fact that he is maintaining some kind of neutrality and letting people decide things on their own. Well, they're deciding whether or not to murder the sleeping Badoonians. Okay, I think that decision is kind of a foregone conclusion. <laughs> Let's get back to all the space Seattle, because my theory is that the reason why the future of the 31st century has so many space needles in it is because the piece of Earth media that has most prominently survived a thousand years from now is Fraser. <laughs> no yep no yep the theme song for the united federation of planets <sighs> is oh baby i hear those blues are calling to salad and scrambled eggs and when it gets to the end uh. and he says oh scrambled eggs all over my face what's a poor boy to do that's what everybody has to stand and put their hand over their heart Oh, I, it's a funny thought, Hope, but I don't share that oh, with you. Oh, I'm dead serious, Corey. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing funny about Fraser. Yeah, you're... This is some dead serious business. I, I know you've invested a lot more in the franchise time and thought investment than I have, but this is not the right... It's not a perfect future, Corey. No, it's not. There's a lot of messed up things going on, and our national anthem is tossed out with scrambled eggs. That's... Our international anthem. Mm. Our interplanetary anthem. Oh, man. What's a poor boy to do? I... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Scrambled eggs all over all of our faces. So, I have written down in my notes something that I don't remember because I am drinking Manhattans because I need to, to try to make sense of this issue. It's not working particularly well. But what I wrote down is ending... Page 31. Oh, so that clears everything up. Let's see what I might be talking about. When they get back to the planet, Kyle is like, Oh, what the fuck just happened? And Steve says, I think Jack Norris would probably explain this best. And then he just fucks off. I love this. This is, <laughs> this is, this is Steve at his best because also the way that he says it is super condescending and insulting to Nighthawk. Who's, who's got it coming. Yeah. But also I mean, totally in general. just fucks off. I, I love it. Let Read what he says to Okay, Nighthawk. so Nighthawk says, Has that cloak of yours levitated your mind away? Seems like we went through an awful lot to accomplish half a mission. Why? And Steve says, I cannot answer in a manner you would understand, Kyle. I suggest you ask Mr. Norris. And Nighthawk says, Ask Hubby? Ugh. And Jack Norris says, I know you don't think much of me, Nighthawk. I know Barbara doesn't think of me at all. But Doc and I both saw something in Starhawk. For me, it was an ultimate fusion. Creativity and destructiveness, passion and logic, whatever it is, it's something the Earth will finally want a millennium from now. The end. Well, that, that does clear up everything. The Earth wants Starhawk in a millennium. I think he's saying, like, this Starhawk guy kind of reminds me of me. Maybe a, a thousand years from now, the world will like me. Or need me. Or something. The end. The end. That Does that answer your question of why we didn't tie up any storylines, Nighthawk? Yes. Pretty good. 
Dunzo. Yeah. And gosh, I mean, that's pretty much the issue. <laughs> Did you have any other things you wanted to bring up about it that you don't think we'll get to in the minutia? No, I just the general confusion and... No, we're good. Yeah, there's just kind of a general confusion and frustration. It's like the third act of a Philip K. Dick book where... Drugs! Yeah, you set up the storyline and then everybody does drugs. And that's the resolution. I don't know what the Starhawk Jack Norris connection is supposed to be. Are we supposed to... Does Jack Norris turn into Starhawk at some point? Oh god, no. I don't know. I thought it was more like an intertemporal bromance, but... Yeah, maybe. They could. Also, we see that Jack Norris, for all that he has turned shit around, like, still refers to Valkyrie as Barbara, despite the fact that that's not who she is. That's true. He should call her Valkyrie. Or Val. Yeah. Something. I mean, just to acknowledge the fact that maybe the woman's personality is valid. Or has some indication over who she is. Hmm. I don't know, man. It's pretty jacked. Jack Norris. Fuck it. Uh, Minutia? Yeah, let's hit it, Rick. We got Minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just Minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got Minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. What do you feel like starting with? Let's talk about who had to be a sucker. Okay. Corey. In this issue, which character had to act in a manner that was contrary to their previously established character or motivation in a way that furthered the plot? To quote the fat boys from the movie Crushed Groove, who just had to be a sucker. Well, man of the hour, Mr. Norris. Yep, I had the same thing. I just wrote down Jack fucking Norris. He literally makes it his mission statement. Ah, well, while I was paralyzed and held in a spell, I decided that everything about me up until now was wrong, and now I'm going to be a different kind of character. That's pretty much the deal with the sucker. We can't give it to anybody else, I don't think. No, there, I mean, there are other characters who maybe acted weirdly, but they're certainly overshadowed by this complete transversal of who Jack Norris was. It was a real 360. Doesn't that drive you nuts when people say that? It was a real 360. <laughs> it's like, that's not what you mean. It's a re- he did a real 180. Yeah. Maybe he did a real 90 degrees. <laughs> he did a real 90. Uh, it's like he was going this way, and then he went, whoop, straight up. <laughs> I thought you meant to the left or to the right. Like, <laughs> Oh, that would make sense, too. Nope, he just went straight up into <laughs> the air, because it turns out he can fly. Probably. Yeah, I mean, I guess I like him better now, but mostly I'm just frustrated. Well, you don't know if he's just faking it, too. Yeah, yeah, even Steve doesn't know. Mm -hmm. Steve knows a lot of things. That's for sure. I mean, maybe while he was in his stasis field, uh, Steve just, like, did, like, a, "Mm, I'm also going to make you less of an asshole. Whoop, partial lobotomy. Oh, like a mind wipe, but only of, like, the asshole parts of the mind. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, the really wiped, really wiped that asshole. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> really wiped that mind, asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you want to move on? I think we should. <laughs> Sounds fair. Sartorially speaking, mm. what fashion choice or choices in this issue do you think are worthy of highlighting? Sure, I got a couple. Okay. The first one we've touched upon already. In the... conjunction with the mind change <laughs> that 
Mr. Norris has undergone. He's also got a wardrobe change, and he looks pretty dope. You read his pants as being beige. I Maybe the coloration difference, maybe there was a difference in the issue, the copies we had. I To me, they looked kind of orange. Oh, that, that could be. I think I just read them as beige because it made more sense to me that way. So full-on 70s get-up, right? Like a nice dark, like almost hunter green uh, trench coat with a popped collar, mm-hmm. big shoulders, tight <laughs> orange slacks, and a tight white shirt. It's a, it's a pretty dope look. It is a pretty dope look. You know what is also a pretty dope look? Hmm. Steve's summer wardrobe. Because we see on this page 18... Steve is not wearing any goddamn pants. He is wearing a mini skirt version of his robes, or possibly the Badoon stole his pants while he was passed out. I was gonna actually ask you about that. Like, does does he wear like white tights under his normal? Not legwear? N- normally. I really think he is just. Is he that? He's not that pale. He's pretty pale. That is really pale. He's. I can you think of a character who is whiter metaphorically than Steve? Hmm. That's a tough one. Yeah, and comic books are a place where metaphors become reality. (laughs) So I think those are just Steve's pasty, pasty legs, and he's just not wearing any pants. That is the only scene in the issue, I think, where we see him from the waist down Mm -hmm. in his corporeal form. And I think he is just running around pantsless the whole issue, kind of daring anyone to say anything about it. What happened to them? Where are Steve's pants? I think the Badoons stole them from him, and that is possibly why he decided to let an entire city of them be murdered in their sleep. That's for my drawers, (laughs) boys. The pantaloons of Strange are wondrous things that must not fall into the wrong hands. This draft is unpleasant. (laughs) Yeah, it just really cracked me up, the, the idea that Steve is running around pantsless, and he is nigh omnipotent, so, uh... I just don't think anybody wants to say anything about it. Yeah. I thought that was pretty fun. Any other fashion uh, Just a quick shout out to the Hulk getup. I know we talked about it uh, in the last issue. This time the, the helmet is much more prominently featured. and mm-hmm. It's a very Adam Strange looking space helmet with, yeah, bondage harness over his typical unintentional purple jorts. It's got some white elbow length gloves on at one point. Yeah, briefly. Pretty weird. Yeah, good stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, good luck, Hulk. Yeah, good looking out, buddy. Sound effects. Ooh, what was your favorite sound effect in the issue? I think I'm going to go with the nice quaff. That was on uh, page 17. That's the sound of Hulk punching a badoon real hard. Oh, yeah. I actually also had that written down. I forgot about it. The whole Hulk destroying a mountain fight has some great sound effects in it i think my favorite might be the clong clank mm-hmm. of him initially fighting the bugs mm-hmm. but yes we also get the quaff which is actually him fighting the bad dune and the krask of uh, him bouncing off of the force field the quaff accompanies what i would refer to as a nearly Highlander the TV show level of transition (laughs) that happens a few times in this issue where in that one it is he is about to punch the game show host and then he is teleported to Badoon after he has thrown the punch but before it connects and it instead connects with a Badoon. It's fucking rad. It's a beautiful, beautiful cut. There's another one on the page previous where 
we first see that Hulk is about to be attacked by Robo Ants. And that starts off with, on Earth, the Badoons are fighting the Defenders and the Guardians of the Galaxy. One of the Badoons says, Arm yourselves! Cut down the intruders! They're Terrans! They're... And then we cut to the next page and we see that he was saying, Ants! And that is when we see the Hulk punching the robo-ants. Very clever. Yeah, really, like I said, it was just like, this This reminds me of the Highlander TV show. Where, like, for every transition scene, it would be, like, tight focus on a fish in an aquarium. And then you pull back, and now the aquarium is in the 13th century or whatever. Nice uh, match to action cut. Indeed. There was also on page 17 in the preceding panel where... I know that he's just holding Monty up by the scruff of his neck, but it really looks like the most massive dick punch in <laughs> in uh, history. Well, let's take a look at that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be like turning a dick punch into putting on a puppet backwards. <laughs> oh, no. There is also something just, you know, speaking of the way that panels look, the, the panel directly above that, the way that the teleportation thing is going and the applause are happening of the studio audience, it looks like everyone is applauding the Hulk's crotch. Yeah, yeah, that is oddly placed. Clap. Or like clapping noises are coming out of his genitals. Like he was just with Space Blanche and caught the clap that badly <laughs> that it makes noises. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, sounds. What were we talking about? Any other sound effects <laughs> You want to talk about? Uh, there was a choosh. There was a choom also. There was another uh, flash. There was a flash, a choom. A lot of good sound effects in this issue. That that was one way in which issue 29 of the Defenders did not let me down. Mm. Good sound effects. Indeed. You know what? Let's transition into best words. Sure. What were the best words in the issue? Oh man, there was a, a couple instances that, that tickled me. Both of them came from, from our friend the Hulk. Okay. I think the the first one is after he gets back from the ice planet smashing all the ants and he's really mad at Monty, the game show host. It's really good. And yeah, that was what I was thinking was the transitional scene because it was in the scene that we were just talking about where it does look like he just punched him in the dick real hard. <laughs> yeah, he gets back. Yondu asks if he's okay. And do you want to take it from there? Uh, so Yondu asks if he's okay. Hulk says, Hulk feels swell, but Hulk is going to make Fat Face feel very bad. Oh, we forgot to put Mr. Green back in thrall. Fat Face won't forget again. Fat Face won't have had to forget with. <laughs> yeah. This is just the best. It's so good. <laughs> Fat face won't forget again. Fat face won't have head to forget with. Which is probably true. Like, if Hulk had executed oh, that yeah, she just would have knocked it I, I, clean It would have vaporized his face. It would have been like... Do you remember when Randy Johnson threw that fastball and exploded a pigeon? No. It Somehow. happened in a baseball game. Do you know who Randy Johnson is? I, I guess a pitcher? He's a pitcher. He's a pitcher who throws very, very fast. He has... The, maybe the most phallic of all baseball nicknames, the big unit. <laughs> um, but he throws very, very fast. And in this insane moment, I'm, if you're not familiar with it, listeners, you should Google it. Corey, after this, you should Google it. A pigeon flew into the strike zone, got hit by the baseball, and just, it was like there ceased to be a pigeon. Damn. 
we're gonna watch this later. Okay, Bad but timing. it's it's that is what would happen to Monty's head if the Hulk had connected. It would have just vaporized his head. I don't even think it would have knocked it off. Mm. It would just be like, oh, I'm pretty sure that guy used to have a head, uh, but now he's just got that stump that has a lot of blood coming out of it. Randy Johnson pigeon head. Yep. Damn. Exactly. Damn. Yeah. So those are my favorite words. What were yours? Those were straight up my favorite words. Oh. I liked the ant thing too. But yeah, just uh, <laughs> fat face won't have head to forget with. Mm-hmm. So good. I have some second favorite words, but we'll get to those when we get to favorite panels. Okay. Well, shit. I've been podcasting for four years now. I know a transition when I hear one. Favorite panel. Corey, what you got? All right. I like the panel on page 16 that I call Hulk's Rules. <laughs> and I spelled both of those words with Z's at the end. I think that's fair. Thank you. In this panel, Monty's fat, stupid face has previously <laughs> been there, like, talking about, like, oh, you tried to break the rules by escaping. That's why you bounced off the force field. And Hulk is really pissed off. Uh-huh. Sitting on his butt, shaking his fist at the sky. <laughs> sure. We've all been there. Yeah, it's just this great panel where there's ants menacing in the background, Hulk sitting there shaking his fist, really mad. Uh, the lady that's that's with him is all in the background, kind of freaked out. And she Hulk... has a name, Corey. It's Space Blanche. I gave her that name because in the issue she doesn't have a name. Sorry, Space Blanche <laughs> is is there too, and and Hulk is shaking his fist and and shouting, "Hulk doesn't care about rules. Hulk's rules are Hulk's own." So, what do you think Hulk's rules are? There's his own rules, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but what are they? Let, let's make up some Hulk's rules. Hulk rule number one. Let's see, Hulk likes his friends. That's not really a rule, is it? It might be a okay, Hulk rule. Okay, Hulk. Hulk rule number one, Hulk likes his friends. Yeah. Hulk rule number two, beans. That's just the whole rule. Oh, he loves beans. beans. He loves Dude beans. loves them. Hulk is the strongest. Hulk is the strongest, maybe the most important Hulk rule. Yeah. Mm, beans is more important probably hulk smash hulk smash very important hulk rule <laughs> that's really up there yeah stupid magician don't tell hulk what to do yep which which is related to hulk's hulk's rules or hulk's rules <laughs> yep yeah i think hulk rule hulk's rules are hulk's rules is the biggest hulk rule of all mm-hmm. i think we should uh we should keep in mind to keep an eye out for hulk rules as we continue to read these comics oh that's a that's a good idea yeah Maybe, maybe have a segment of mm, hoax, rules. Well, hoax rules. What's the hoax rule on this issue? Yeah, I like yeah. it. That can be the, like, Masters of the Universe, the more you know, <laughs> educational takeaway. Okay. So, yeah, we'll start ending issues with, what was the hoax rule from this issue? That'll be our PSA. Well, when somebody's being mean to you... <laughs> make them fall asleep so aliens can murder them. No, 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 that's Doctor Strange. Oh, that's Steve's rules. Yeah, we don't we don't want that. <laughs> What's Hulk's rule for this issue? Oh, jeez. Uh, Hulk's rules for this issue are you you have to follow your own moral code. Okay, and that's Hulk's rules. Bum, 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 bum. Pretty good. Thanks. What was your favorite panel? Uh, my favorite panel came on page twenty six. It is Steve using his powers to make the futuristic city of Chicago into a crazy 80s Keith Haring mural of Seattle. With confetti. Yeah, those are just the kind of random geometric shapes that in the one panel, it looks like he's just kind of shooting like asymmetrical exclamation points or confetti out of his fingers. But yeah, in the next one, you're getting this weird 
almost psychedelic, but more geometrically psychedelic in a way that I very much associate with the 80s that is combined with pastel and neon colors. It's very cool. It's I, I love the way these two panels go together. And they also, I think, underscore just how freakishly powerful his character that is, is something that comes across very clearly in this issue. And in fact, my other favorite panel is a panel that I call Steve and Jack play Planetary Electronic Battleship, where we just see Steve's face as he is having his hands thrown out from him in a show of power, and Jack looking over his shoulder looking kind of concerned, but as these electronic blips show up all over the planet that are, I suppose, the places that they are teleporting to and shooting guards at. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it really looks like they are just playing a planetary game of electronic battleship. And it is really cool looking. It is cool. And they've got a prison in Florida. Yeah, they do. Where, where are those other prisons? Looks like they got one in, uh, uh, I'm going to say Niagara Falls, maybe? Mm -hmm. They got one in Manitoba. They got one in... Uh, Let's say Galveston. There's the Chicago that we saw before. Mm -hmm. We got uh, Seattle, maybe. Yeah, oh, we got Seattle for sure. We got Helena, Montana. And I'm going to say mm, Houston. Yeah. Yeah. Those are very much where those very specific prisons are in the 31st century. Very good. Uh-huh. Excellent geography. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks. Corey, in this issue, who was the best defender and who was the worst offender? Best defender. Best defender in this issue is Doctor Strange because he saves the entire humans from everything and then gets sent home. And then also he's mean to Nighthawk. I liked that he was mean to Nighthawk. That was, yep. Strong disagree on his and Starhawk's little tete-a-tete -tete about interference slash non-interference, where he decides not to free all of humanity and fix all of the problems that he could, because... He, he does, he, it, frees, it, he frees everybody, he just doesn't kill all the aliens. You could, he could have just teleported them to another planet. Oh, there's a lot of things that could have gone better. Yeah, just exactly. But, if, he's, but if, it, if it wasn't for him, all Earthlings would still be enslaved by the Badoons. That's the bottom line. He did some real dick shit in this issue, though. I can't give him the nod for best. Without him, look, look. in the 31st century, we'd all be enslaved. I don't say this very often, but Jack Norris raises a very good point <laughs> when he says, you could have zapped the Badoon off the face of the Earth all by yourself, couldn't you? Why? And then Steve says, it would have rendered all the years of enslavement meaningless, were it even within my power. It is within his power. Mm. It is within his power, Corey. Uh, yeah. And the years of enslavement are meaningless anyway. Like, you, you don't need to learn and better your, like, well, they wouldn't learn anything from having been horribly, in, like, enslaved and had 90% of them murdered. It's like, well, this should be a learning experience for them. Yeah, no, fuck that. You can save those people. Do it. You have a moral imperative. I and then Starhawk shows up and says, perceptive, Doctor Strange. Freedom must be earned to be valued. Their enslavement wasn't earned. Why must their freedom be earned? All valid points. If Steve was not in this issue, they'd still be not free. That's the bottom line. He also didn't leave a fucking note to let people know <laughs> that he was not in fact Please dead. Please don't wake me up. 
And he was running around with his strange junk flopping in the breeze, (laughs) making everybody very uncomfortable, but not willing to say anything because, you know, magic powers. Yeah, I agree with all of that, but he was the most effective agent of positive change for humanity. There are different kinds of change in the story. And in my mind, the more positive change was turning a mountain that was bothering you into a mountain that does not exist anymore. (laughs) And that is the Hulk, who was the best defender in this issue. That's pretty good, too. He smashed a whole mountain, and he made up his own rules, man. Yeah, yeah. No, I I love the Hulk in this this comic. He's amazing. You know what the first Hulk rule is? Hmm. There are no rules. Except Hulk's rules. Well, that's the second rule. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I loved the Hulk in this issue. I had to go with the Hulk. I did the whole thing with wearing an Adam Strange hat, too. I can't disagree with you as effectively as you disagree with me, <laughs> so I won't. Okay, well, conversely, who did you have as the worst offender? Nighthawk bothered the shit out of me in this comic book. So, before, we, we had a, a sucker where, where Doctor Strange was uh, strangely insightful about being like, Valkyrie really doesn't like it when you refer to Jack as her husband, so knock it off. Right? Yeah. And he just he just keeps doing it. Yeah. And he said a thing that didn't sound great, which was talking about his reason why he wanted to smash all the Badoons was because they all look alike and they all talk alike and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That didn't sound great. Yeah, that's, that's not great. And also, he's not super effective. Corey, he has the strength of two strong men. Two strong men at night. Oh, it might not be at night in this issue. And they might not be. Well, I guess they're in space, but... They're not in space. They're on Earth. Okay, then, yeah. Boo. (laughs) I guess that's fair. He didn't bother me as much in this issue. He struck me as pretty dumb for, like, not knowing that Steve wasn't dead. They all bought into Steve having been dead that whole time very easily and used it to fuel some kind of murder rage that they used against the Badoons. I decided to go with Starhawk for the reasons that I discussed earlier. His rationalization of Steve not using his powers at the end. And by transference, you can kind of assume that he is rationalizing his own non-interference that way. His using <laughs> the picture of his wife as an excuse to be a deadbeat dad with his kids. Yeah, that's um, bullshit. If they are his kids, we really just don't know what is going on there. But I do know enough to know that Starhawk is a dick. And yeah, so I went with Starhawk. It was honestly neck and neck with me with Steve and Starhawk, but I thought Steve not wearing pants was very funny. <laughs> it was funny. And also, I liked what a dick he was to Kyle at the end. So I couldn't quite go with mm. him as the worst offender. Okay. Well, I think that wraps up most of our segments, but we do still have one thing to learn. And that, Corey, is in the year of our Lord, 1974... And the month of our Lord, November. Corey, what's Wong with this picture? Uh, what's Wong doing at that point in time? Right, right. So, among Wong's many other interests and, and things that he pursues outside of his life as the, the faithful manservant of, of Steve Strange, mm-hmm. one of them is he has actually a budding international private detective business. What? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's around a lot of crime-solving types and has picked up a, a, a few techniques of how to do that over mm-hmm, the years. Mm-hmm. So a, a friend of his, on the other side of the pond, a contact in the MI5, says, Hey, we had something pretty screwed up happen. Relatively important person in, in British 
political social political circles has has disappeared <gasps> yeah and and we'd like you to to fly over and come help us find him if you can and so that was that was earlier on in the month uh the 8th of november is when the the earl of lucan first went went missing and wong's like oh, okay i'll see what i can do i got some vacation mm-hmm, time coming mm-hmm. up and so he he flies over a few weeks later and is out doing his gumshuery around, uh-huh. around the, the gritty streets of london and he traces a possible trail for the missing duke to St. Paul's, the the famous church or cathedral, I'm not Mm -hmm. sure which, in in London, and walks in. But his timing is horrible because it turns out he walks in right in the middle of the memorial ceremony for Coco the Clown. And there's a giant picture of Coco and it freaks Wong shit out so bad that he just leaves London and he never comes back. And for those of you that haven't seen photos of Coco the Clown, well, you can make your own choice, but that's what Wong was maybe... Maybe up to. It's funny because I did have that as part of what Wong was up to as well. Uh, He definitely did spend some time that month in London and was, in fact, at the funeral for Coco the Clown. Although, when Wong points out to Steve that he is going to attend the funeral of Coco the Clown, Steve responds by saying, Now, Wong, I think technically you'll find that Coco the Clown played the role of an august, which is the... Clown, not technically a clown. He is the white-faced entertainer who is the recipient of the custard pies to the face and the various shenanigans at the hand of the more clever, technical clown. And Steve's like, fuck that. He's a clown. He calls himself Coco the Clown. And Steve says, well, actually... And then Wong is just fucking out of there. And he decided to go to that funeral because he had seen that picture before and he wanted to make sure that that clown was dead. (laughs) Because that, that photo is terrifying. A clown or goose or whatever. He, yeah, it's creepy as oof, shit. Oof. Uh, but what had initially brought Wong to England was, you will remember, at the end of the giant-sized Defenders number five, Elar had been transformed back into a regular eel. Mm. And then the Defenders and the Guardians of the Galaxy just kind of fucked off into the future and space, leaving Wong with this eel on his hands, and he's like, well, shit, I gotta gotta get this eel back to a habitat where he can be resuscitated. It's not his fault that he went through all of this bullshit. Mm. And so Wong decided that the River Thames was the place for eels. So he went over to England to take care of that, and when he deposited Elar there, Elar had a brief regression. Just before... The thing and started flinging fish everywhere at Wong and Wong was like, "No, no, no! I know enough spells. I the, the travel fucked with this, but he did manage to change Elar back into an eel, but not before Elar had picked up from the Hudson River a salmon, and that is why in November of 1974 the first salmon was found in the River Thames. You wanted since... this to be an Aqualad story so bad. <laughs> I really did." <laughs> I really did. I was like, there's salmon malfeasance in England. Canonically, that is where Aqualad makes his bread and butter. Oh, shit. His soggy, soggy bread and his Mm. damp, damp butter. Mm. Yeah. But that is what... (laughs) That is what was wrong with this picture. There's no salmon in that river. There are now. Oh, shit. Thank you so much for joining us, listeners. This ended up being a lot of fun. I was skeptical because this issue made me very frustrated. Anyway, if you'd like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. If you would like to find us on Twitter, 
That is at ttwasteland underscore. And you can leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever you use to listen to podcasts, and I would really appreciate that. If you would like to kick some money to us, well, we could certainly use some money. And I have an idea for a Patreon goal. I'm not ready to unveil it yet, uh, and it, it's a bigger one, so we would need to get some donors on it because it would take me some time and some resources, but uh, I, I got a thing in mind. So if you want to just prep for that and start giving me money now, well, that'd be great. And you can do that at patreon.com slash ttwasteland, and it would really mean the world to me. Also, Lisa decided to make an Instagram for the podcast. So that's just, uh, I think you can find that. I don't know how Instagram works, but I think it's just tighten up the defense and maybe use it. Do you use a hashtag for Instagram? I'm not sure either. I don't know what it is. It's like a picture sharing thing. Yeah, no, I mean, I know what that is. It's it's like the mail, it's like the Pony Express, but uh, even faster. It's much faster. Yeah, and you just send your pictures that way. Instead of handing them to the nice young man at the livery stable, you just put your thoughts of the picture into the Ethernet, and then they will appear... In front of your friends that live abroad. Then you can sit back and eat a hamburger sandwich. Mm-hmm, and your dungarees. <laughs> yeah, so that's how Instagram works. I'm pretty sure. Okay. So yeah, you can you can do that now. Uh, I think Lisa's putting stuff up there. She might just be making fun of me on there. I don't have Instagram. <laughs> so you guys can tell me about it. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back next week with some Teen Titans, and back in two weeks from then with some new Hulk rules. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Hey, guys, this is Hub again. I've just got a couple of brief editorial notes. First of all, eagle-eared listeners may have noted that we fucked up. We accidentally did a what's wrong with this picture for 1974, and we should have done one for 1975. Sorry, that's when this issue came out. We done fucked up. Oops. All berries. Also, I don't think eagles have ears. I might be wrong about that. I also just wanted to mention really briefly that the episode of Smash Fiction that I'm going to be guest appearing on comes out this Sunday. So you guys should all check that out. We are going to attempt to determine who would win in a fight between Vixen and Black Panther. It's Vixen the superhero, not Vixen the band, which caused some confusion for me. Okay, I think that's it. Thanks for listening. Goodbye, and remember, call pistachios tree clams. Thanks. And they knew it. The Incredible Hulk and the Twins of Evil. In a mind-boggling attempt to destroy the Green Goliath, the Abomination and Vendigo join forces. Alone I can fight you to a standstill. Together we can render you helpless. Hulk only wants to fight fair. The deadly duo leaves the Hulk defeated. But suddenly, it's the Hulk! Keep away, Hulk's not like people. It's okay, Hulk. We'll help you. You gotta have something to eat, Hulk. 
Here, have a hostess fruit pie. Hostess fruit pie? You'll like the real fruit filling. And how about that light flaky crust? Hulk happy now. Hulk thanks, boys. The green gargantua crashes off into the forest. I'm glad we had hostess fruit pies to share with the Hulk. He ate them all. Apple, lemon, and cherry. In a strange way, I think he knows we're his friends. Now who can take care of unfinished business? You'll get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Fruit Pies. And that's the Hulk's rule. Now, I have a special treat for us, Corey. Oh? Hostess Twinkies! (laughs) I couldn't Uh, find any fruit pies at the bargain store. That was a delightful surprise. Let's see if there's a big delight in every bite. Let's see. I think there ought to be. Spongy... Golden filling? No, no. Golden cake. Yeah, and then a creamy filling of sorts. Man, I haven't had one of these for a long time. Me either. Cheers. Cheers. Hmm. <laughs> There's old. some sort of delight. I wouldn't say it's a big delight. It it does taste old. It tastes like something that hasn't gone bad, but it's been around for a very long time. Do you remember it's when weird... we were in Mexico and Zach got very upset and yelled at everybody that he didn't see how a hot dog could possibly go bad? Yeah. Mm. And he's a scientist. Mm-hmm. I think that was before he was he was officially minted as a scientist. Oh. <laughs> but I bet he still that. thinks that. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks.